Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the Dion Gordon Podcast. I'm your host, the connoisseur of common sense, the purveyor of authenticity, the man who calls it right down the middle. Dion Tyree Gordon, enough of the bullshit. Let's get to work. This is a landmark episode of the Dion Gordon Podcast. This is history in the making. Years from now, you're going to ask yourself, where were you when you heard the 50th episode of the Dion Gordon Podcast? This is like JFK getting shot. This is like the, the Challenger space missile getting blown up in midair. This is like 9-11. This is like SEAL Team 6 killing Bin Laden. This is history. This is a landmark episode. This is a milestone achievement. This is a seminal moment. Years from now, you're going to ask yourself, where were you when you heard this piece of American history? The 50th episode of the Dion Gordon podcast. Revel in this moment. Bask in my glory. On this podcast, I have touched upon a wide array of subjects and topics from politics to sports to women hating on men who play video games to Jeff Bezos being a piece of shit to James Harden and Dwayne Haskins going to strip clubs on a regular basis to Colin Kaepernick's ice cream. I've called out Jim Crow Joe Biden for his vast amount of fuckery. I've called out Donald Trump for his equal if not excessive amount of fuckery, have called out the idiots, rednecks, and pecker woods who stormed the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. I've said a lot of incendiary things. I've talked about the privilege of Tim Tebow. I've talked about how boxing is in absolute shambles right now. Whatever's on my mind, whatever I feel like talking about, whatever sticks in my craw, whatever grinds my gears, whatever I feel like talking about is the topic of conversation on the Dion Gordon podcast. But one thing I have not touched upon yet on this podcast is one of my longtime loves, one of my longtime obsessions, something I've been watching and following and paying attention to since I was a wee little boy, about four or five years old. Something I've been enamored with for my entire life. And that is professional wrestling. What better way to commemorate the 50th episode of the Dion Gordon podcast and to talk about grown men in spandex pretending to fight each other. Professional wrestling, WWE, AEW, WCW, ECW, USWA, IWA, GCW, NWA, whatever. Professional wrestling has been a lifelong love of mine for as long as I can remember. I go all the way back to my first wrestling event that I ever watched, WrestleMania five at the Trump Plaza and Casino in Atlantic City, New Jersey, where a childhood idol of mine, where someone I still love and respect to this day, the late, great macho man Randy Savage, defended his WWF championship after a year-long reign against the immortal Hulk Hogan, the macho madness, Hulkamania, the mega powers explode. At WrestleMania Five. this one strong friendship, this unique bond between two of the greatest wrestlers of all time, came to a head in this internal struggle between good and evil, the macho man Randy Savage, the immortal Hulk Hogan, and the immortal Hulk Hogan, the leader of Hulkamania, emerged victorious on this night, defeated the macho man Randy Savage to win his second WWF championship. And on that night, I became a fan of professional wrestling, and I've been a fan of professional wrestling forever. Ever since then, I was five then, I'm 36 now, and I've been hooked ever since. As I've mentioned before in this podcast, I was raised by my grandparents, in particular, a close relationship with my dearly departed grandmother, who was a, a longtime professional wrestling fan herself, and she would often tell me about 
going to the shows back in the day in D.C. and Baltimore and Maryland, all over the surrounding areas, seeing such longtime greats, such legendary figures as Chief J. Strongbow and Wahoo McDaniel and Tony Atlas and Soul Man Rocky Johnson and Bruno Sammartino and Larry Zabisco and Ivan Pusky, Polish power Ivan Pusky and Ken Patera, the eighth wonder of the world, Andre the Giant, the Iron Sheik, Bob Backlund, Killer Kowalski, Haystacks, Calhoun, Big Cat, Ernie Ladd, the Grand Wizard, Captain Lou Albano, Classy Freddie Blassie, so many luminaries, so many legendary figures throughout the history of professional wrestling. My grandmother went all the way back to the WWWF, owned by Vince McMahon Sr., before we handed off the reins to his son, Vince McMahon Jr., and then professional wrestling's popularity just exploded in the mid to late 80s with the Rock and Wrestling Connection and with Vince leading the charge, being the visionary that he is, and with Hulkamania coming in and the MCV influence and Cindy Lauper and different people getting involved and going on pay-per-view and going international and the way Vince just destroyed all the other wrestling territories in the area and bought out all their wrestlers, brought them into WWF, and so on and so forth. And, you know, that just instilled in me to be a professional wrestling fan. Like I said, growing up with my grandparents and with my grandmother, we watched wrestling every time it came on. We didn't miss a show. Monday Night Raw, WCW Monday Nitro, WCW Thunder on Wednesdays and Thursdays, WWF SmackDown on Thursdays, ECW on TNN on Friday nights, USWA on Saturdays, WWF Superstars back in the day, WWF Livewire, if you remember that show, that's going way back with Todd Pettengill as the host of that show. I mean, I, I can go on and on. WWF Shotgun Saturday Night, WCW Saturday Night, WCW Pro. I mean, whatever you want to name, if it was a professional wrestling show that came on in the 90s and the 2000s, I watched it. I watched wrestling all the time growing up. It's one of my favorite sports. If you want to call it a sport, I call it a sport because it requires a certain amount of athleticism to do it. And you got to be a tough person, male or female, to do it. So I got an abundant amount of respect for any man, any woman who steps between those ropes, puts their lives and bodies in the line to entertain people like me and be a professional wrestler at the highest level. Uh, nothing but respect and love for anybody who does this for a living. But I've been a fan since I was a kid, and I'm still a fan right now to this day. So, as I said earlier, what better way to commemorate the 50th anniversary, the 50th episode, I should say, of the Dion Gordon podcast and to talk about one of my longtime, lifelong loves, professional wrestling. And what a week in professional wrestling it has been. This is the best way, the best week to do my first wrestling podcast because this has been a monumental, eventful, impactful week of professional wrestling. First and foremost, the fans are back. After a year and a half of tyranny with this bullshit, garbage-ass Thunderdome nonsense or sparse crowds of students and trainees trying to be wrestlers on both shows on WWE and AEW, now we've kind of gotten back to normal a little bit, some semblance of normalcy, and the fans are back at the shows, back at the arenas now. We're now pretending that COVID-19 is over with, but that's a different story. Now the people have been brought back into the fold Live at the events, professional wrestling is performance art. Professional wrestling is the theater of the absurd. And you need a live studio audience, a live crowd, whatever you want to call it, in attendance to really make this shit work. The Thunderdome era exposed how boring wrestling can be when there's no one there to interact with the wrestlers. There's no one there to give them live feedback. There's no one there to cheer, to boo, to come up with creative different chants. 
to influence the matches, to throw the wrestlers off their game a little bit, to try to create their own narratives. It's not the same. If you don't have people, wrestling is not the same. And we, we saw that throughout the whole Thunderdome, COVID-19 pandemic era of wrestling. It just looked boring. It just looked very vanilla, nondescript, very milk toast. You need people in the crowds for professional wrestling. You need people in the crowds for pretty much every sport, for basketball, football, baseball, hockey, etc. But especially pro- professional wrestling because it is performance art. It is the theater of the absurd. It is a live action comic book, a live action violent play of some sort. You need people in the crowd. And this week, WWE got back on the road and finally had people in attendance in the crowds and started off with WWE Money in the Bank 2021 live from Fort Worth, Texas. And Money in the Bank is a concept came up with by Chris Jericho, a legendary longtime professional wrestler who's now wrestling for WWE's rival company, AEW. But a long time ago, right around WrestleMania 21, he came up with the idea for a ladder match in which the briefcase would be at the top of the ladder in which the different wrestlers in the match would fight for this briefcase. And if you got the briefcase, that would guarantee you a world championship title shot whenever you chose to have that shot, whenever you chose to have that match. You could have it later on that same night. You could have it the next night. You can call your shot and, get, and set that match up for three months later, a year later, whenever you felt like cashing in that Money in the Bank briefcase to have your world championship, WWE championship title match, you can do it whenever you felt like it. So this has been a mainstay in the company ever since then, one of the biggest selling points, one of the biggest gimmick matches in professional wrestling in WWE, and now it's turned into an annual um, yearly pay-per-view event. So they had Money in the Bank last Sunday, both in men's and women's Money in the Bank match. Nikki A.S.H., almost superhero, formerly known as Nikki Cross, emerged victorious in the women's Money in the Bank match, defeating Alexa Bliss, Naomi, Natalia, Tamina, uh, a few other birds in that match. I forgot it was in that match. It wasn't that good, honestly. Big E Langston, formerly of the New Day, now off by himself, emerged victorious in the men's Money in the Bank match over Seth Rollins, Cesaro, Kevin Owens, John Morrison, Matt Riddle, Ricochet, and my man Shinsuke Nakamura, the king of strong style. Eight people in this fucking match. It was kind of ridiculous, to be honest, but my man Big E came out victorious in this match. Always good to see a brother win. So now he is the men's Money in the Bank briefcase holder. Nikki A.S.H. held the women's Money in the Bank briefcase for one day until she cashed it in the next night over Charlotte Flair and won the Raw Women's Championship. So she didn't waste any time. Big E still holding on to his. Who knows how how that storyline is going to play out. I'm intrigued to see what he does with his Money in the Bank briefcase. I'm intrigued to see how long... Nikki A.S.H. still holds that women's title. Now, it's only, it's inevitable. It's a matter of time before Charlotte Flair gets a rematch and beats Nikki A.S.H. to become, I don't know, the 34th time Raw Women's Champion. Who knows? They are really, they're doing Charlotte a disservice because they're trying to shoehorn Charlotte into becoming a 16-time champion, much like her father, the legendary nature boy Ric Flair, was a well, technically, 25-time World Heavyweight Champion, but the WWE only recognizes 16 of his title reigns. But what they're going for is they're trying to have Charlotte Flair tie her father, Ric Flair, with 16 World Heavyweight Championship reigns and then surpass him as this big passing of the torch feel-good moment that they could have on their television, probably at a big pay-per-view event like SummerSlam or something like that. 
But the way they're going about it is just fucking ridiculous because Charlotte Flair is just being handed world championship reign after world championship reign after world championship reign. I always joke around with people like, what is her gimmick? You know, the way I grew up watching wrestling, every wrestler had a gimmick. Every wrestler had, had a defined purpose in the role, something they represented, something they were about. What is Charlotte Flair's gimmick? That she wins all the fucking time? That she's Ric Flair's daughter? That she's a tall, athletic, white girl with blonde hair? That she's a wrestling version of Karen? If that's the case, then go all the way with her being a wrestling version of Karen. Have her call the police on a group of black wrestlers backstage for being in their own dressing room. Have her call the police on the Hurt Business for just walking around backstage because she doesn't think they actually work there. Just do that. If you're going to make her a Karen, just go all the way with it. What is her actual gimmick that she wins all the fucking time? That's the only thing I can take away from Charlotte. She's talented. She's athletic. She's tall. She's blonde. She looks the part. She's a second-generation wrestler. She's Ric Flair's daughter. She's got a lot going for her. But when you keep just shoehorning her into the championship picture and keep giving her arbitrary championship reign after arbitrary championship reign, it loses its value. She's been on the main roster since like 2015, and she's already won at least double-digit championship titles between Raw, SmackDown, NXT, even though they don't acknowledge NXT on TV anymore, on the mainstream, on, the, on Raw or SmackDown anymore. She's won a lot of titles. That's my point. She always wins. And if she doesn't win, she's going to win it back sooner or later. Everyone knows Nikki A.S.H. is a transitional champion. She's going to have the belt for a little bit, and then eventually Charlotte's going to take it back from her. It makes people hate her for all the wrong reasons. She doesn't have, like, good heel heat. Uh, you know, in the wrestling business, they call a heel a bad guy. The baby faces are the good guys or whatever. So to use some insider terminology, even though I'm not a wrestler. But the point is, Charlotte doesn't have, like, a... She has a negative perception with the crowd. People hate her for all the wrong reasons. They don't hate her because they appreciate her work for what she's doing on screen. They hate her because they legitimately want her to go away and not come back for a long time. She's annoying. She's condescending. She's arrogant. She's pretentious. Her on-screen character, but it kind of, you feel like that's who she is in real life too. And the fact that she always wins is annoying and off-putting to a lot of fans. The fact that she's always in the championship mix is annoying and off-putting to a lot of wrestling fans. You know, how can we miss you if you never go away? I understand why Charlotte's always in the championship picture because she is a star. She does have legitimate star power. She looks the part. You know, you can buy her being the number one face in the women's division. But at the same time, it's the company's fault too because they haven't elevated any other women to that level and they haven't really invested that much time and resources into other women. Outside of the, the famed four horse women, of Charlotte, Becky, uh, Bailey, and Sasha Banks. They really haven't invested that much into the other women. Maybe Asuka a little bit. She's been champion for a long time. She was champion for a long time. But primarily, the belt kind of switches hands and revolves around the four horsewomen that I just mentioned, Charlotte, Becky, Bianca, and Sasha Banks. Uh, Becky Lynch is on maternity leave right now, though she's rumored to be coming back soon. She gave birth a while ago, but she's rumored to be coming back Sasha Banks has been MIA ever since WrestleMania, where she lost to Bianca Belair. Another woman that they're investing time in, uh, the current SmackDown Women's Champion. They only So that's about six. They have like six women to actually invest time and resources in. And inevitably, the belt always goes back to Charlotte because, of, like I just said, she's tall, athletic, blonde, white, and Ric Flair's daughter. So eventually, she's always going to be the champion. 
I don't know, they're kind of stuck in the bad situation, the situation they've created, because you're going to keep giving this woman championship reign or the championship reign, and the people are just apathetic towards it after a while. They expect it. They know it's going to happen. They see it coming a mile away, and after a while, people just stop giving a shit. So that's the women's division right now, both on Raw and SmackDown. It's pretty much what it is. But Nikki A.S.H. is your new Raw women's champion. Uh, congratulations and good luck to her. It is what it is. Enough about that. Moving on to the big story of the week. I can't believe I'm 15 minutes, 16 minutes into this, and I'm just now getting to the big story of the week. At the culmination and the conclusion of Money in the Bank 2021, at the end of the Roman Reigns Edge Universal Championship match, a pretty good match, by the way. Seth Rollins interfered, predictably so, laying the groundwork for his potential SummerSlam match against Edge. And the conclusion of the pay-per-view... As our tribal chief, the head of the table, the best thing in professional wrestling right now, my man Roman Reigns is basking in the glory of his championship title defense, his universal championship title defense. And the conclusion of the pay-per-view, we get an unexpected surprise, a much welcome surprise, a breath of fresh air, a star has returned. Much-needed star power has returned back to the WWE because I've been saying for the longest time, this company is absent of star power. Roman Reigns, the aforementioned Charlotte Flair, Becky Lynch, maybe Seth Rollins, Bobby Lashley, your WWE, the almighty Bobby Lashley, I'm sorry, your WWE World's Heavyweight Champion. That's about five people, five stars in a company that employs about 6,000 fucking people. This company is largely devoid of superstar talent. Brock Lesnar's on hiatus. Who knows where the fuck he is? He's chopping meat somewhere. But at the conclusion of the pay-per-view, a real, actual, legitimate, bona fide superstar returned back to the fold. None other than my man, the doctor of thugonomics, hustle, loyalty, and respect, the star of Fast and Furious 9, John fucking Cena is back. And thank God, because like I said, this company is largely devoid of superstar talent. Professional wrestling as a whole is largely devoid of superstar talent. And John Cena, whether you like him or you don't, is a motherfucking superstar. For so many years, people hated John Cena. They chanted, Cena sucks. You can't wrestle. All these you know, disrespectful, inflammatory remarks and chants aimed in the direction of John Cena. People hated him. They wanted him to go away. Well, he went away for a couple of years, and you saw how boring this shit is. Whether you like Cena or not, you can't deny the energy that he brings to a show. This guy gets people to emote, to react. Did you see the reaction when Cena came out? People lost their fucking mind. People lost their shit. There's viral videos of little kids having conniption fits, jumping out their skin, jumping for joy. Overjoyed with emotion for the fact that John Cena is back. He's a real superstar, and it's so refreshing and so nice to have John Cena back. He matters. He's important. He resonates with people. People give a fuck about what he's doing. They give a fuck about what he has to say, and they miss him. It's like I just said about Charlotte earlier. To quote the the great Jim Cornette, "How can we miss you if you don't go away?" John Cena went away for about a year or two. Once upon a time, everyone hated John Cena. He goes away. He's not on your TV screen every Monday. All of a sudden, you miss him. You're wondering, where is John Cena? When is John Cena going to come back? And to illustrate how much people hated John Cena, I can give you a firsthand account 
of the hate and vitriol and the animosity that people have for John Cena. Uh, story time with Uncle Dion real quick. I remember going to a Monday Night Raw SmackDown Super Show at the Verizon Center in Washington, D.C., where the Capitals and Wizards play at back in about 2006. And I'm at the D.C. Metro Station waiting to get on the train to take me and a friend of mine down to Gallery Plaza Chinatown to the Verizon Center. And there was a little kid about seven, eight years old with a John Cena T-shirt on and a John Cena sign and the headbands and the wristbands and all that shit. And a group of grown-ass men started booing this little kid and chanting at this kid, Cena sucks, Cena sucks, Cena sucks. And I thought in that moment, you motherfuckers are pathetic. You motherfuckers more than likely live in your parents' basement. I can see you have a neck beard. You probably haven't gotten any vagina at any point in your life. You're going to be a 40-year-old virgin. You're a loser. You're pathetic. You're garbage. And here you are in a train station booing a little kid who appeared to be about six, seven, eight years old because his favorite wrestler is John Cena. I looked at that little kid. I thought to myself, you know, 20 years ago, that was me. I was a Bret Hart fan growing up. Still am. That's my all-time favorite wrestler, Bret the Hitman Hart. The excellence of execution, the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be, the master of the sharpshooter, the greatest technical wrestler of all time, the Hitman, Bret Hart, 6'1", 234 pounds from Calgary, Alberta, Canada, five-time WWF heavyweight champion. I'm a Bret Hart fan. So years ago, I was that little kid cheering for Bret Hart. I can only imagine if a group of grown men were booing me because my favorite wrestler was Bret Hart. How pathetic are you if you boo a little kid because of who their favorite wrestler is? But I digress. But Cena was so hated and so despised and looked down upon. And now he's back and everyone lost their shit when he came back because John Cena is a fucking star. And you've been watching wrestling for the past couple of years and you haven't seen any stars. You've seen a bunch of B-level players, a bunch of role players, basically. As Kevin Nash would say, a bunch of vanilla midgets, a bunch of guys about 5'8", a buck 50, you can wrestle 100 miles per hour, 45 minutes, do every move known to man. And at the end of the match, you don't give a fuck about anything they did during the match. It meant nothing because they have no star power. Wrestling needs stars. Wrestling needs star power. John Cena is a star. Wrestling needs John Cena. Wrestling needs people like John Cena. Wrestling needs Brock Lesnar. Wrestling needs Roman Reigns. Whether you like it or not, wrestling needs Goldberg. Which leads me to Monday Night Raw. There's only three things you need to know about the Monday Night Raw that came after Money in the Bank. I already mentioned Nikki A.S.H. pinning Charlotte Flair for the Raw Women's Championship. Charlotte came out for a coronation ceremony to celebrate her recent, most recent championship victory. It was cut short by Rhea Ripley, the woman, the woman she defeated the night before for that Raw Women's Championship. And then Sonya Deville, the acting on-screen Raw GM, and Adam Pearce, the other acting on-screen GM, came out and told Charlotte, you're going to have to defend that title later on tonight against Rhea Ripley. They had their match. They fought to a, a countout. Charlotte took her belt, walked out the ring. Her and Rhea Ripley got into a brawl. After the match, Rhea Ripley beat Charlotte up, incapacitated her to the point where Nikki A.S.H. came out, cashed in the Money in the Bank briefcase. Like I said, you can cash it in anytime you want to. It doesn't have to be an official match. You can catch your opponent slipping. You can catch them while they're vulnerable and just cash in. 
and had the, the match, an impromptu match right then and there. And that's what Nikki A.S.H. did and caught Charlotte after she had just gotten beaten down by Rhea Ripley, came off the top rope with a crossbody block, pinned her one, two, three, became women's champion, and that was it. That's one of the things, one of the big moments that happened on Raw. The other two big moments that happened on Raw the night later after Money in the Bank got a lot of people talking, got a lot of people scratching their heads, got a lot of people asking, what the fuck is wrong with this company? Does Vince McMahon really hate NXT? The WWE's developmental property, their third, unofficial third brand, does Vince McMahon really hate NXT that much? The first offense was Keith Lee, one of the more accomplished indie wrestlers over the past couple of years, a big a guy who became a big star in NXT, a big man, about 6'3", 6'4", 340, 350 pounds, with moves like a cruiserweight, very agile, very light on his feet, an extraordinary, exceptionally talented professional wrestler, a fan favorite of mine and many others, a guy that a lot of people looked at and saw a future in. They saw this guy being a potential breakout star one day, had all the potential in the world, was brought to the main roster a year ago. They brought him on TV wearing a fucking tennis skirt. They took away his theme music that helped him get over. They brought him out and made him look like a fucking loser. And then he contracted COVID, went away for a little bit. So now the WWE had a second chance. Normally you only get one chance to make a first impression. Keith Lee's first impression on the main roster wasn't that good. But they got a mulligan, they got a do-over, they got an opportunity to bring this brother back and reposition him as a top-flight, main-event, number-one guy you got to watch and pay attention to. And what did they do? They had my man Bobby Lashley, the CEO of the Hurt Business, the almighty Bobby Lashley, come out and issue an open challenge to any man in the back who had the guts, who had what it takes as Mick Foley would say, the legendary, the great Mick Foley would say, the testicular fortitude to come out and fight Bobby Lashley for the WWE Championship. The almighty Bobby Lashley, the CEO of the Hurt Business, who 24 hours prior had absolutely decimated Kofi Kingston in a runaway, in a rout, in a blowout, in a wash for the WWE Heavyweight World Championship. Bobby Lashley issued an open challenge to any man in the back who thought they had what it took to come out and confront him and wrestle for that championship. And who emerged from the back? Who came out? Keith Lee. This is it. This is your second opportunity. Like I said, you don't, normally you only get one opportunity to make a first impression. This is Keith Lee's second. And he comes out and wrestles Bobby Lashley and loses cleanly in about five or six minutes. This is called stupid-ass booking. Whoever came up with this idea is a fucking nimrod. This is a no-win situation. Bobby Lashley is being billed as this imposing, intimidating figure. This guy who's just run through the entire roster, destroyed every man in his path. No one can beat him. He's 6'2", 6'3", about 280, 290, cut up like a bag of dope. He looks the part. He looks like what a professional wrestler should look like. He looks like what a WWE champion should look like. He's being booked. He's being positioned in the way that's appropriate for a man who looks the way he does. So he can't lose. You back yourself into a corner. A guy like that can't lose on regular free TV. If a guy like Bobby Lashley is going to lose, you got to build someone up to beat him on pay-per-view or the Peacock Network, wherever the fuck it is nowadays, WWE Network, whatever. 
you can't have this brother just go out there and lose. So obviously Bobby Lashley is going to win. Keith Lee's a guy you're trying to establish. Keith Lee's a, tr- a guy you're trying to build up and position in that same pantheon as Bobby Lashley. So obviously he also can't lose. So naturally in the WWE's infinite wisdom, we're going to have one guy who can't lose go up against another guy who can't lose. And what's the outcome? The WWE champion, appropriately so, wins, but in the process, you make Keith Lee look like a fucking asshole. And not only does Keith Lee look like a fucking asshole, he looks like a fucking asshole in his home state of Texas. You buried this dude in his home state. Typically, when a wrestler wrestles in their hometown or home state, they usually win. But I guess we've reversed course on that over the past couple of years. I remember when Bailey, who's from San Jose, California, years ago, lost to Alexa Bliss in San Jose, California. Typically, you're supposed to win in your hometown, but fuck all that. There's a lot of things, a lot of like historical wrestling tropes that people should, I think, still adhere to. I'm an old school wrestling fan. I'm a wrestling fan, all right? I grew up watching wrestling. There's a lot of things I believe in, old school wrestling principles that we just deviated from in the modern era of professional wrestling, both in WWE and AEW and everywhere else. I just feel like we've gotten away from a lot of the old school principles to help get people over, help make the show make sense, help establish professional wrestling, made millions of people fall in love with professional wrestling. We've gotten away from basic core elements for new school bullshit that doesn't make any sense. Something as simple as a wrestler wrestling in their hometown should win. We don't even do that anymore. A wrestler wrestling in their hometown, home state, whatever. You're supposed to win that. But like I said, they booked themselves into a corner because Bobby Lashley couldn't lose. Keith Lee is coming back after an extended hiatus. He really can't lose either. But when he does lose, he looks stupid. He looks like a fucking asshole. And now, another wrestling insider term, this guy's been buried. This guy looks incompetent to the, to the public, to the WWE universe. He looks incompetent. So now with Keith Lee, I wonder, like, where does he go from here? What does he do now? How do you rehabilitate this man? Do you send him back to NXT? They could use the star power themselves. NXT's running low on star power. I, if I was Keith Lee, I, I would ask for and probably demand my release. I would say, fuck it. Cut my losses. Let me go. If you have no real plans to use me in an effective way, if you're going to keep this shitting on me like this, just let me go. I would ask for my release. I'll go to AEW. I'll go to New Japan Pro Wrestling. I'll go to Ring of Honor. I'll go to Impact. Wherever. I'll go somewhere else where my talent can be appreciated. Because this doesn't make any sense. You could have literally sent anybody else from the back to come out there and fight Bobby Lashley and get destroyed in about two or three minutes. It didn't have to be Keith Lee. That's the, that's the wonderful thing about pro wrestling. Vince McMahon and the, the team of writers and everyone else backstage, all the bookers, all the talent agents, producers, they literally control and manipulate the entire show. This isn't, prof- this isn't like football or baseball where you don't know what's going to happen or basketball where you have no clue, no idea what's going to happen. This is professional wrestling. You write the show. You, you control everything that happens. You don't have to do this. You don't have to send Keith Lee out there to get his ass kicked by Bobby Lashley in five minutes or less. You can protect both men. You can send any jobber, Humberto Carrillo, Mantor, whatever the fuck his name is, 
Mustafa Ali. You can send someone like that out there to get beaten down by Bobby Lashley in five minutes or less. It didn't have to be Keith Lee. But as bad as the Keith Lee-Bobby Lashley situation was, uh, as my man Sticky Fingers from Onyx would say, wait, it gets worse. Not watered down, so I'm dying of thirst. Karrion Cross, the current NXT World Heavyweight Champion. NXT, once again, the third brand of WWE. You can call it develop- developmental. I would call it the third brand. They are no longer developmental. They are their own, before the pandemic anyway, they were their own touring brand. They had their own fan base. They were doing well. The NXT takeovers are recommended viewing for any wrestling fan out there. If you're a current wrestling fan, if you're an old wrestling fan, you're trying to get back into wrestling, I personally highly recommend you go back and watch any NXT TakeOver from about 2015 to about 2019. In particular, go go watch NXT TakeOver from 2015 in Brooklyn and go watch the greatest women's wrestling match of all time, Sasha Banks and Bayley. Watch NXT TakeOver Philadelphia where Andrade Cien Almas and Johnny Gargano in the main event for the NXT World Heavyweight Championship. You can literally pick any NXT TakeOver that you want, and you will I guarantee you, you'll get your money's worth. You'll be highly entertained. NXT is not developmental. NXT is the unofficial third brand. At least that's what many people think. Vince McMahon, the head honcho of WWE, looks down his nose at NXT and thinks it's worthless and decides any opportunity he gets, he will embarrass and ridicule and mock and denigrate NXT as a brand and what it stands for. And what you saw happen to the NXT champion carrying Cross on Monday night in his match against Jeff Hardy, his debut match on the main roster, what you saw in that match was a further illustration of what I'm saying. This is his debut match on the main roster. This guy is another guy who's been positioned as a monster, as a terror, as a guy who's destroyed and decimated and eviscerated anyone in his path. He's been made to look invincible. He has a cool-ass entrance with all types of smoke and mirrors and lights flickering and shit going on. And his theme song is awesome. He's got his wife, his real-life wife, Scarlett, coming out with him and making all kinds of crazy, weird entrances and faces and everything, and like, it looks cool, it looks awesome, it helped get him over. His entrance helped establish him with the crowd. So naturally, when he debuts in the main roster on the WWE's flagship show, Monday Night Raw, he is absent Scarlet. she's nowhere to be found, and all the smoke and all that shit is gone from his entrance. The music is still there, but it's just carrying Cross by himself, coming out as is, And by himself, he looks like a generic creator wrestler number four from WWF No Mercy back in the day. He looks like a plain, rudimentary, run-of-the-mill, ordinary wrestler by himself. He needs all the bells and whistles of his entrance. He needs his wife with him. I always look at him as being like the modern-day Mark Merrow, Skip slash Chris Candido from the Body Donnas. He's a guy like the only reason he's over is because of the hot-ass blonde white girl he comes in the ring with. So back in the day, it was Sable with Mark Merrow. It was Tammy Lynn Sitch, a.k.a. Sonny, with Chris, the late, great Chris Candido. Carrying Cross is his wife, Scarlett. If you take that away from him, he looks like shit. He looks like nothing. He looks like someone you shouldn't even bother to watch. So why would you debut this guy on your flagship show, Monday Night Raw, without his wife, without the cool-ass entrance, with nothing attached to him. 
and then you debut him on Monday Night Raw in a match against a returning Jeff Hardy with the theme song that everyone loves, No More Words, that he had back in the day when he branched out on his own as a solo act from the Hardy Boys. You bring back a returning Jeff Hardy to fight Karrion Cross making his main roster debut on Raw in another situation where you're in a no-win situation where neither man really is supposed to lose this fight. It doesn't make any sense. You know, I still watch wrestling. I still love wrestling. But these days, in the past couple of years, I always use this analogy with people. It's kind of like watching your favorite football or baseball or basketball team and being loyal to them. Like, you know that team sucks, but you still watch them play every day, hoping they're going to turn things around and get better. That's how it is being a wrestling fan. Like, you still watch this shit. And you just hope that one day they're going to catch lightning in a bottle again and turn it around and get better. But that day is not right now. Karrion Cross goes out on Monday night and loses to Jeff Hardy in two minutes with Jeff Hardy putting his feet up on the ropes. Jeff Hardy is supposed to be the good guy in this match. Karrion Cross supposed to be the bad guy, face versus heel. That type of tactic, those type of tactics, I should say, are not really consistent with being a good guy baby face wrestler or putting your feet up on the ropes that's typically something a bad guy would do that's neither here nor there the fact that you brought this guy up from the main roster don't you don't even announce none of your announcers the ring announcer even alludes to the fact this guy's the current reigning nxt world heavyweight champion he's wearing the belt but no one even makes mention of it he comes out there loses in two minutes or less to jeff hardy as your nxt champion Gets on the microphone after the match and says, Jeff Hardy just made the biggest mistake of his life. He just beat you in two minutes. You've just been emasculated. You mean nothing. You have no worth, no value now. You look stupid as hell. And to further illustrate that, the following night, Raw comes on Mondays. NXT comes on Tuesdays. Karrion Cross goes back to NXT the next night. And fans in the crowd are chanting Hardy, 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 Jeff Hardy's name at him. And just making a fool out of this guy. Because 24 hours prior, they all saw him lose to Jeff Hardy in two and a half minutes. So this guy has been built up for the past years. This menacing, imposing ass kicker. This dude who destroys everyone in his path. No one can fight him in a one-on-one. He beats everyone up. He had a match about a month ago in one of the NST pay-per-views where he had a, it was a five-man match. He fought Johnny Gargano, Pete Dunne, Adam Cole, Kyle O'Reilly, and beat all four of those men to retain his NST title. So many men have worked so hard to put this guy over and establish him as this monster, as the face of the company, as the NXT heavyweight champion. And then he goes out and loses in two and a half minutes to Jeff Hardy. So not only do you just shit on Karrion Cross in that moment, you shit on all the men who tried so hard to establish him. He looks like a joke now. He looks like an embarrassment. He looks like a bum. He looks like nobody now. You just, in one night, you just killed two of the biggest creations, two of the most menacing, imposing, intimidating people from NXT in the past year. You just ruined and destroyed two of them in the span of one night, in the span of about seven minutes of in-ring time. Congratulations, Vince. It literally makes no sense. And when I think about it some more, I think to myself, is Vince just being petty? Because that's not out of the ordinary for him. Is he just being petty and ridiculous and jealous 
of NXT. A little bit of background on, on NXT if you don't know about it. Um, the creative force behind NXT is Triple H, legendary professional wrestler in his own right. So all these people you see in NXT are kind of his creation. Not just him, but also Shawn Michaels, William Regal. You know, all three of these men are currently retired. They work in a backstage producer-type role, helping to create the next generation of wrestlers through NXT. So when you see guys get called up to the main roster, a lot of those guys had a lot of help from Triple H and Shawn Michaels and William Regal in a backstage role on screen and off screen as well, helping to establish them, helping them with their timing, with their ring work, with their on-camera work, with their promos, things of that nature. So in that regard, NXT is developmental as far as the things that go on backstage. But to me, what goes on on screen is not developmental. That's a third brand. But my point is Triple H and Shawn Michaels and William Regal help establish a lot of these guys and then they get called up to the main roster and they get turned into shit almost immediately by Vince McMahon. Vince for a long time has been has been that way. If Vince didn't create it, if Vince doesn't like it. And Vince also doesn't like the perception. This is this is just me speculating. I don't think he likes the perception that Triple H is better at this shit right now than he is. That everyone's giving Triple H so much credit and acclaim and, and praise for being such a, a visionary and having such a great mind for the wrestling business right now and being one day the successor to Vince if and when he ever does step down. I think Vince, deep down inside, just doesn't like that and resents the fact that people think Triple H is better at this wrestling shit right now than he is. Vince needs to come to grips with the fact that he's lost touch. He's 75, 76 years old, been doing this forever. He no longer is in tune with what the fans want. He hasn't been in tune with what the fans want for over a decade, but he'll never let go. He'll never relinquish his title. He'll always be the chairman of WWE. He'll always be the the, the last guy that has to approve every storyline that goes on TV, the judge, jury, and executioner, the end all, be all, WWE. Nothing gets on TV unless Vince approves it, and that's just the way it is. And it, Vince has always been known as being fickle, as losing interest in people very quickly, losing interest in people for the silliest, dumbest reasons possible. Who knows? Maybe he lost interest in Keith Lee and Karrion Cross. There's always going to be rumors and dirt sheets speculating on things like that. Who knows the exact reason until it eventually comes out one day. But for all I know, Vince probably lost interest in both of them guys. Going back to Keith Lee, Keith Lee loses in five minutes. And not only that, but it's basically just to set up another angle, another storyline, where Goldberg, 53-year-old Bill Goldberg, longtime legendary pro wrestler from WCW back in the day, had a little time in WWF in the mid-2000s, he comes out after Keith Lee loses, confronts Bobby Lashley, and just simply says, I'm next, his catchphrase. Who's next? I'm next, whatever. And announces himself as being the next challenger for the almighty Bobby Lashley's WWE World Heavyweight Championship. That match is going to happen at SummerSlam this year at the Legion Stadium, home of the Las Vegas Raiders. Expected crowd of over 65,000 in attendance for this show. So naturally, to, and if you're going to sell... If you're planning to sell anyway over 65,000 tickets, you're going to need all hands on deck. You're going to need all the big stars you can possibly bring in. Bobby Lashley and Bill Goldberg is a big-time match. People are going to be drawn to seeing that. People online will shit on Goldberg all day. When his music hit, people went crazy. People lost their mind. Like I said earlier, he's a superstar. 
wrestling needs superstars. So if you're going to sell your second biggest pay-per-view of the year in SummerSlam, and if you're going to do this in a 65,000-seat venue, you're going to need as many stars as possible. So that's why you get John Cena coming back. That's why you get Bill Goldberg coming back. But to just beat up Keith Lee in about five minutes and just use that as a springboard for the Bill Goldberg, Bobby Lashley storyline is insulting to Keith Lee and to a lot of people, fucking ridiculous. But that's just where WWE is right now. I always, you know, I always tell people, what is WWE going to do five years from now? Who's going to headline WrestleMania 43? Roman Reigns versus Dave Batista? Batista's about 52 right now. Five years from now, he'll be 57. So he's already old and washed up. He's only going to get older. And that, that applies to all these other wrestlers, all these other legends you keep bringing back from the late 90s and 2000s. You're running out of time with these people. You're pretty much out of time now. Even the OVW class of Cena, Orton, Brock Lesnar, Batista, those guys are old now. Those guys are all over the age of 40. Like I said, Batista's over 50. Cena's in his mid-40s. Lesnar's in his mid-40s. Randy Orton's in his mid-40s. What other legends are you going to bring back? Goldberg's 53. And that's really it. Other than that, you'd be scraping the bottom of the barrel, but you can't bring anyone else back. You can't bring Hogan back. He's damn near 70. His back is all, all fucked up. His body's all fucked up. Ric Flair almost died a couple of times. He's in his mid-70s. You can't bring him back. Bret Hart had a stroke years ago. Got kicked in his head by Goldberg. Has CTE and post-concussive syndrome. He hasn't wrestled since, since that match, really, in a real match. He came back for a small run with WWE in 2010, but no one could touch him. He couldn't take a bump. He couldn't fall. He couldn't get hit. So it wasn't a real wrestling match for Bret. You can't, Shawn Michaels is retired. Triple H is retired. The Rock is in Hollywood. He might come back. There's rumors about him coming back to fight Roman Reigns at WrestleMania next year. But he's in Hollywood. He's heavily protected. He's heavily insured. You know, Hollywood producers don't even want him wrestling anymore. The last time he wrestled was against John Cena at WrestleMania 29, and he got legitimately injured in that match. So as a result of that, Hollywood producers don't want The Rock wrestling anymore. So that begs the question, five years from now, who headlines WrestleMania 43? What are you going to do? At some point, you got to start creating more stars. At some point, you got to start creating more people that the, the public wants to see that they can invest time in. Because all of your old legendary wrestlers, all of the heroes from the past are either dead, old, and can't fucking wrestle anymore. Or they're getting close to that. So at what point do we start making new superstars? At what point do we make something out of Keith Lee or Karrion Cross or whoever? These are the people who could potentially be at the forefront of your company and headline major shows like WrestleMania or SummerSlam or, or Royal Rumble or Money in the Bank or Survivor Series or whatever. These are the people who could potentially be the face of your company and you fucked them up in one night. You know, all that reminds me of something that a guy said about 10 years ago, sitting on top of the stage at Monday Night Raw, Las Vegas, Nevada, sometime around June 2011. A guy who was sitting Indian style wearing a Stone Cold Steve Austin t-shirt. And this guy almost prophetically told you the current state of the WWE at that time and how the WWE would continue to be for the next five or ten years and beyond. 
In fact, this guy was quoted as saying on live national television on Monday Night Raw, the longest weekly episodic show on cable. This man sat on stage Indian style after John Cena had just been speared through a table by R-Truth and was laying there in as much pain and discomfort as he possibly could be in. And this man sat atop that stage that night and said, I like to think that this company will be better off when investment man dies, but it will probably just get taken over by his idiotic daughter and his doofus son-in-law. This man delivered a promo that night that resonated with so many fans that are still being talked about to this day from June 2011 to July 2021. A pipe bomb, if you will, delivered by one of the greatest professional wrestlers of all time, a man who has not been active since 2014, hailing from Chicago, Illinois, Chick Magnet Phil, otherwise known as C.M. Punk is back in the wrestling news once again. This man has been heavily speculated for a long time about if and when he's ever going to come back. He famously walked out in the WWE in January 2014, upset and disgruntled about his place in the company, about the plans for him, about the way he was being mistreated, about the way his medical woes were being swept to the side and dismissed. Upset about the fact that the company fired him on his wedding day. They FedExed his release papers to him on the day of his wedding. CM Punk is back in the wrestling news. And CM Punk, as well as another legendary professional wrestler, the American Dragon Brian Danielson, better known to many as Daniel Bryan, who's recently with the company, who as a matter of fact was in the main event of this year's WrestleMania in a triple threat versus Edge and Roman Reigns, both of those men are rumored to be signing with AEW, the WWE's newest rival, newest challenger to the throne. This is big news. This is a huge week of professional wrestling news. Like I said, what better week to start off my wrestling, talking wrestling series on this podcast and this week with the return of John Cena, with money in the bank, with the fans back in the crowd again. With Monday Night Raw and SmackDown finally being watchable again because there's fans live in attendance. And this news, these rumors, these speculation, the innuendo that CM Punk and Daniel Bryan are returning to the wrestling business and going to WWE's newest rival, All Elite Wrestling on TNT. This is awesome. There's no other way to say it. This is fucking awesome. To get these two, if AEW can pull this off, if Tony Khan, the son of Shad Khan, billionaire owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars, if they could throw some money in CM Punk's direction and Daniel Bryan and bring both of those guys in, AEW is already creeping up in the ratings on Monday Night Raw. If they bring both of these guys in, it's going to get it's going to get very interesting for WWE. They've had challengers before. You know, they had WCW, they had TNA, which wasn't much of a challenge really. But this is different because now we're at a time right now where a lot of people, millions of people are just very apathetic towards WWE and the type of programming they put on and the type of wrestling they produce and present. A lot of people are just disenchanted with WWE and the type of programming they present. So now they're ripe for the picking. And like I said, they're running low on superstars. They have not created or made any real superstars in the past five or six years other than Roman Reigns and Charlotte and Becky Lynch and Sasha Banks and Bayley. 
So that's four women and one dude. The only male superstar they've really created is Roman Reigns. Now they're ripe for the picking. Now you have this startup company on TNC, the same network as WCW Nitro from back in the day, that has been making some noise, that's been making waves with an indie crowd, with a smart crowd, so to speak, with a niche crowd, but starting to gain some traction, starting to gain some momentum. I'll admit AEW 100% is not my cup of tea. I don't really watch it on a weekly basis. I'll check in every now and then. I had high hopes for them. I was really into it at first because I'm disenchanted with WWE on a lot of levels. So I was really intrigued by AEW when it first started and the promises they were making about being sports-based wrestling and presenting that type of presentation on their show. And what I've seen from them in the past year and a half is the antithesis of a sports-based wrestling presentation. I'm seeing a lot of goofy, silly bullshit on AEW. I'm seeing a lot of instances where they make wrestling look faker than, than it normally does or just make it look fake in general, which is a word I don't even like to use for wrestling, but that's how AEW makes it look a lot of times. I think their production value is shit. I think most of the wrestlers on there physically look like shit. You know, AEW just isn't for me. I think most of the matches are carbon copy, look very similar. As I said earlier, a lot of 45-minute matches with both men or multi-man matches doing, like, every move known to man, no one even... No one sells anything. Everyone kicks out of everything. A guy will get a Canadian destroyer off the apron through a table, get up and no sell, continue fighting, and then proceed to lose the match to a small package to an inside roll-up. I personally think that's stupid. I don't like the current indie presentation of wrestling with the rhythmic gymnastics cooperative style of wrestling that goes on. I see a lot on the indies and in AEW, but... If they can bring in CM Punk and Daniel Bryan, two of my all-time favorites, I'm going to start watching AEW on a regular basis now, initially at least, to see what they do with Punk and what they do with Bryan, more so with CM Punk, because I've seen Bryan on television lately. Like I said, he was at this year's WrestleMania. I've seen Daniel Bryan on television lately. I have not seen CM Punk on television in a wrestling capacity since January 2014, where he told the company in particular, told Triple H and Vince McMahon to go fuck themselves. I don't need to work with you. You need to work with me. Something I admire and something that I love. Anytime you have an opportunity to tell your boss to go fuck themselves, that I don't need you, you need me, that's something I'm always going to support. CM Punk and Daniel Bryan have both been two favorites of mine. Since I saw them in Ring of Honor professional wrestling in the mid-2000s, having classic matches with, with, against each other, and with Samoa Joe and Nigel McGinnis and guys like that, both of those guys are just awesome. Punk, Brian, if, if AEW can bring both of them in, it's going to be crazy. That's what the rumors are saying. I'm looking at AEW has two big shows coming up. They have a show at Arthur Ashe Stadium in Queens, New York, which has already sold over 16,000 tickets. They're opening it up even further to sell more tickets because of such high demand. I'm looking for Brian will probably debut with that show. That's just my guess, my my hypothesis, that Daniel Bryan would debut with that show. They have another show, which is their version of WrestleMania, All Out, All In, whatever they're calling it this year. That's going to be in Chicago, Illinois. Every All In so far has been in Chicago, Illinois. Um, the first one was in Chicago, which is CM Punk's hometown. That's a logical place to debut Punk and AEW is at your biggest show in his hometown. So that's something I'm going to be keeping an eye on. The only questions I have about Punk is like, what kind of shape is he in physically? Can he still go? 
You know, it's been seven years since he had a legitimate professional wrestling match. He's been gone. He dabbled with MMA for a little bit. He got his ass kicked twice. One of those losses got rescinded because um, the brother that he fought was high on weed, so they took the, the, the win away from him. So technically, Punk is 0-1-1. That fight's now been deemed a no contest, but we all saw the fight. The tape don't lie. I'm a CM Punk fan, but I'm also a transparent person. I can call out someone I'm a fan of. He got his ass kicked. You know, Punk truthfully had no business being in the octagon. I give him credit for trying something out, trying something that he's always had a love and appreciation and respect for, something he's been a longtime fan of. Uh, Punk has done like UFC commentary through different avenues over the past couple of years. You know, I would never knock someone for chasing something that they want to do, but uh, at the end of the day, he should not have been that other guy. He got fucked up twice. He was never in either fight. But that's neither here nor there. Doesn't take doesn't take away from the fact that he's an awesome professional wrestler, one of the greatest promos I've ever heard, uh, a tremendous orator on the microphone, almost untouchable. Very few, if any, can go toe-to-toe with CM Punk on the microphone. The Rock, one of the all-time greatest promos in his own right, couldn't really hang with CM Punk on the microphone. As Punk told The Rock, your arms are too short to boss with God. CM Punk is on that level. As a microphone guy, as a promo guy, as an in-ring guy, you know, the match he had with Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam 2013 is fire. The match he had with John Cena and Money in the Bank 2011 the best match I've seen the past decade. And I mean that with the utmost sincerity. CM Punk, John Cena, Money in the Bank 2011 in Chicago, with the stipulation being what it is, the storyline being the way it was, the way it kind of fell into place, perfect. With that crowd being what it was, so pro-punk in his hometown, so anti-Cena, and like I said, the storyline where they took it, they borrowed apart from real life because Punk's, contract ran out that night he signed a new contract a contract extension earlier during the pay-per-view before his match it was the main event versus Cena he signed a, a contract extension for real during the during the event and then he wins the match and going into the match he said you know I'm gonna win the WWE championship I'm gonna beat John Cena for this title who knows I might defend this title in Ring of Honor New Japan Pro Wrestling I'm gonna go somewhere else I'm gonna leave the company and I'm taking this belt with me and it all kind of fell into place. It was an awesome wrestling match. Great venue, great environment, great execution on all parts. Vince, John Laronitis, John Cena, CM Punk. Just when, when, when pro wrestling is done well, when pro wrestling is done perfectly, when it's done logically, when it makes sense, when people are actually try it and motivate it, pro wrestling is a beautiful thing to watch. When the storytelling is A1 like it was that night for Cena and Punk Money in the Bank 2011, pro wrestling is one of the highest forms of entertainment out there. Because pro wrestling, like I said, it's a live-action comic book. It's the theater of the absurd. You have a, It's just like a movie. You have an antagonist, you have a protagonist. You have a good guy and a bad guy. In wrestling, they call it a heel or a face. You have storylines. You have people who, when, when the whole thing is booked appropriately, when it makes sense, you have a guy, your protagonist, who's motivated to accomplish a goal, and you have an antagonist who's doing everything he can, even through the most nefarious of means, to prevent that protagonist from achieving their goal. And it just works beautifully when it works, when the right people are involved, when you have star power, when you have motivated people, when people actually give a fuck and pay attention to detail. Pro wrestling 
can be awesome. And CM Punk is one of the guys who has made pro wrestling awesome in the past 10, 20 years. CM Punk was the guy that brought me back into wrestling. I almost quit. I almost gave up. Because every now and then, this shit just gets too out of pocket. This gets too outlandish. So around like 2009, 2010, I was kind of tapped out. I was kind of checked out on it. I was kind of bored. I was tired of it. You know, and Raw had like the guest host era where you had like Bob Barker and people like that showing up and Jeremy Piven on Raw referring to SummerSlam and SummerFest and all kinds of dumb shit like that. And I was kind of tapped out. Now I saw that CM Punk promo with the pipe bomb, the infamous pipe bomb promo, and it brought me back in because I was like, this guy has it. I was already a fan of his to begin with, with the Straight Edge Society and uh, the, the feud he had with Jeff Hardy is on SmackDown in 2009. That was incredible. Uh, Punk was always incredible whenever he was on TV and given time to shine. But that whole storyline leading up to that match with Cena and Money in the Bank 2011, that was, that was in Fuego. That was incredible. That was storytelling. That was wrestling storytelling at his best. And he's one of the guys, he gets it. He has a great mind for the business. He knows what to do. He knows what not to do. I just hope when he goes to AEW, he doesn't get caught up in the bullshit where everyone else at AEW and all the other phony, nonsensical ridiculousness that takes place in AEW. I hope Punk just does his own thing and is in complete control from a creative standpoint of his storylines and everything. Same thing with Daniel Bryan, another great guy who has a great mind for the business, uh, tremendous in-ring talent. The possibilities are endless. I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens with this, with Punk and with Bryan. Is it just rumors or is it reality? I think Bryan's going to go there with Punk. You never know. There's been rumors about him for seven years. Is CM Punk coming back? Is he going to show up at this event? Is he going to be here? Is he going to be there? Anytime WWE would go to Chicago, there was always speculations about CM Punk showing up that night. And, of course, it never happened. Uh, I didn't anticipate Punk or any big star, Cena, Brock Lesnar, whoever. I didn't anticipate anyone coming back in the past year and a half during the pandemic when there's no fans in attendance. Now that everything's opened back up and you got fans back at the back at the shows again, now the possibilities for big names to return and big surprises are, are back in back in effect now. That's why you saw John Cena come back in Money in the Bank. That's why you rumored about hearing Daniel Bryan and CM Punk come back. If you throw the right amount of money at Brock Lesnar, he'll come back because he's only in it for the money, which is fine, which I don't I, I have no problem with. But the possibilities are endless. Um, so I'll, just take a wait and see approach. That's all we can do. Uh, just wait and see if if Punk and Brian both show up. If you get one but not the other, like I said, I think I'm pretty much certain that Daniel Bryan's going to come back. CM Punk will wait and see. Uh, for what it's worth, Living Color, the band who does CM Punk's theme music, Cults of Personality, one of the greatest songs I ever heard. They started following AEW on Twitter and Instagram today for what it's worth. Uh, Tony Khan has his father's money, billionaire pockets. They can pay for the licensing fees to use Cults of Personality for Punk. If he does come to AEW, that shouldn't be a problem. Or me personally, if he were to come back with his old theme song, When This Fire Burns, I'd be cool with that too. But I think Cults of Personality is a better song overall. And I can only imagine if he does show up in Chicago with All In, All Out, that crowd is going to shit themselves collectively. Like 20,000 people simultaneously are going to shit themselves in attendance if you hear that opening guitar riff, the cult of personality, the lights go out or wherever the fuck happens, 
that song starts playing and CM Punk walks out in front of those people in his hometown of Chicago, that's going to be a moment. That's going to be something to watch if you're a wrestling fan. That's going to be something, you know, never say never in the wrestling business. Guys always leave. They never fully stay away. Eventually, everyone comes back. Ultimate Warrior came back. Bret Hart came back. You know, they, they killed Bret's brother. He still came back. Hogan came back. Bruno San Martino came back eventually. They always come back. No one can stay away from wrestling forever. That's why I've been saying this for years about Punk. When the time is right, he'll eventually be back. When the money is right, he will eventually come back. It was only a matter of time. So, once again, take a wait-and-see approach. Look forward to the uh, AEW show at Arthur Ashe Stadium to see who shows up. Does Daniel Bryan show up that night and who else might show up? What other big surprises they got? Look forward to All Out in Chicago in September. CM Punk maybe, possibly, could show up at that event. Who knows? We'll have to take a wait-and-see approach. But for now, this is a phenomenal week of professional wrestling. Fans back. John Cena back. Rumors about Punk and Bryan. Raw and SmackDown. People in attendance. SmackDown consistently delivers. SmackDown's the best wrestling show on television. Uh, NXT is good. You got Impact Wrestling. You got Ring of Honor. You got NWA. You have a smorgasbord of professional wrestling to watch. A little bit of something for everybody. MLW, Major League Wrestling. If you like wrestling, this is a great time to be alive. There's a lot of wrestling on television seven days a week. Anytime you want it, any way you want it. If you're a wrestling fan, plenty of shit to choose from. So, can't say much more than that. It's an awesome time to be a wrestling fan, like I already said. Um, Once again, this is the Dion Gordon Podcast. Eternally grateful, always humble, very much appreciative. Acknowledge me as your tribal chief. Acknowledge me, okay? I'm the head of the table with this podcast shit. Acknowledge me as the head of the table and your tribal chief. The almighty Dion Tyree Gordon, the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. Picture me rolling. I'm out.